Lot went with him. And Lot was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled to the land as far as the great tree of Moreh at Shechem, and at, the, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Thank you for that, Owen. So like I said earlier, we've been going through the book of Genesis. We're up to our last um, Bible talk in the series, in chapter 12 here. Uh, we've spent eight weeks in the series called, in the series called Our Story Begins. Uh, and it's been really exciting so far, just seeing how God is at work through um, our creation. God is at work through uh, humanity. Uh, so we're going to get into this. We're really going to just focus on three verses tonight. I got Owen to read a lot of verses just to give us a bit of context. But let's get into it. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to hear God speak to us through it, hopefully. And uh, we're going to pray that God, um, God's Spirit will move our hearts as well. So, yeah, let's pray together. Father, Lord, we do thank you that you do speak to us and that we can hear you speak to us through the Bible. We thank you that it is your word and that through it we can um, come into a relationship with, with you. And so we pray, Lord, that as we understand it today, um, that your, your spirit will move our hearts to, to desire a life that's under, uh, under you as our king, as a, a life that desires to live for you and worship you. We do pray for that in your son's name. Amen. Uh, a few months ago, a good friend of mine deleted his Facebook account. Shock horror. He was done with Facebook. And I don't know if you know, but Facebook really lost a lot of trust with people. Who still, who uses Facebook here? Like, that's a, there's a lot of us here that use Facebook, right? Now, I don't know if you were keeping up with the news at all, but there was a huge debacle back in, in March. 87 million users of Facebook had their information shared with a political campaign company, and their privacy was breached, Right? That's why since then you, you might have seen a lot on websites or emails coming into your uh, inbox um, that you've subscribed to with a clear statement that's uh, saying that your privacy is protected and to re-accept the terms and conditions before you engage with the website. I don't know if you've been seeing a lot of those emails. I've been getting a lot of them in my inbox. It was a huge hoo-ha, right? Because, um, because Facebook didn't keep their word. They were told that they would make a promise to keep their word, uh, that they wouldn't share private information, but they broke that promise. Now, a lot of us here in Australia don't know or didn't care about it, uh, but it was huge. It made a huge impact in America. My friend in Australia, he had enough. He had enough of Facebook making promises that, that, they, um, that they care about their users, that our data is protected, but then broke their promise, promises. I don't know if you've been seeing them around Brisbane as well. You see them on the bus stop signs? Facebook cares about your privacy, signs like that. Now, some of us feel really betrayed, like my friend. Some of us feel like nothing's sacred anymore. And even though we might still use Facebook, many of us, we just feel like we can't really trust it, so we don't do too much on it anymore. We just use it to stalk people and stuff, right? 
And we do get nervous about social media these days, don't we? We get nervous about our phones sometimes, listening to our conversations, picking up on things that we said, and then advertising that stuff to us. We get nervous about using Google Home in our homes, listening to our conversation and, and sharing you know, our privacy with companies. Many have already experienced this, right? There's no privacy anymore. And with Facebook breaking their promise to protect our privacy, people like my friend and many in our world are disappointed and let down. Now, I'm guessing most of you who still use Facebook, just like me, you really don't care, right? We're happy, we're happy to give up, take all my information, just don't send me those privacy emails anymore. Um, yeah, and we know nothing comes free in the world. If, if I want to use Facebook for free, well, I've got to be prepared to share my date of birth, my email, with them. And to be honest, when we think about these big tech giants like Facebook, what do we expect? We, ex we should expect them to break promises. We've seen so much false advertising in our lives. We know that promises that people make, you know, we should take that with a grain of salt. It happens all the time. It's funny, in life, you know, people have, we go through life and people make promises and we're often, we just feel like we've been let down all the time. We're used to it now. We, we should be used to the idea that Facebook is going to let us down as well. We're left disappointed. We see it in all of life, don't we? People who say they're committed to something, but then they, they flake out. Or you're frustrated because you made every effort yourself to be committed, and why aren't they here? Maybe it's the culture that we live in today. Think about it. We, we expect our world, you know, not to, when we, the, the word of others, not to mean much anymore because commitment itself isn't something that's valued anymore in our culture. We tick interested instead, or maybe attending until something else better comes along, because if we're honest, we always want a way out, don't we? We're often afraid of commitment. And so it's, it isn't a surprise that our culture really implicitly encourages broken promises, doesn't it? Because commitment isn't something we value. You know, I just need to look at myself in the mirror to see it. My cousin once said to me, a man is as good as his word, Mikey. If I say I'll do something, then I better do it. He said that really aggressively to me one day. But if he lived in my household and he saw the way that I spoke to Heidi, he'd be really disappointed in me. I can't count the number of times I've said to Heidi, don't worry, I'll take care of the dishes. And then don't. Or I'll book Heidi for a date night and then something else comes up, I forget, and I'll book someone else in. Oh, oh these people are coming over, didn't I tell you? We even break promises to ourselves, don't we? We'll say things like, I'm going to eat healthy this week. I'm going to go on a diet but then eat KFC or chocolate cake the next day, which I'm guilty of both this week. We're as good as our word, but our word doesn't mean much. Wouldn't it be good if there was someone who did fulfill their word? Wouldn't it be good if there was someone you could rely on 100% who never lets you down, who fulfills their promises completely? See, we have today, in today's passage, a story about a, a, another man in history called Abraham, uh, Abraham, uh, his name is changed to Abraham later, so I might use his word Abraham. But what's being told in our story is a little bit of a narrative of his life and God's promises to him. And we're going to understand why God's promises to him matter in light of everything that has happened so far in Genesis, from chapter 1 to chapter 12, uh, and why it matters to today as well, to our lives today. Like I said, this is the last talk in our series of Our Story Begins, and we'll be discovering that our story really begins not so much with us at the beginning and at the end, but a story really of, of a God who creates and loves his creation. Our story begins with God. So if you haven't been with us for the last eight weeks, as a quick catch-up, uh, we looked at how through the opening chapters, we've seen, a God, uh, we've seen a story about God and humanity. 
a creation where God saw it as good and he had a harmonious relationship with the humans he created. And through the actions of the man and woman in the garden, we saw sin enter. And sin entered the world and it severed the relationship between God and humanity so that there was brokenness instead, a broken relationship. And we saw how that broken relationship with God also affects our relationships with one another. So there was a, a vertical, a broken vertical relationship and a horizontal broken relationship with one another. All right, a broken relationship with God and a broken relationship with one another. We saw that in Genesis 3 and 4. We saw God show judgment and grace and mercy as well in the flood narrative of Noah. And last week we heard about how God took the initiative to, to scatter humanity through, the, through um, the creation of nations and languages to, uh, to fill the earth as he intended to from the beginning. So, so far through Genesis 1 to 12, we're seeing a lot of creating and recreating and a lot of initiative from God on his end through these first 12 chapters. And that's how chapter 12 begins, doesn't it? God doesn't give up on his creation. He takes initiative. Like I said, I'm going to focus on the first three verses of chapter 12 because these three verses tell us so much about the God who we believe in. Our setting begins with a man named Abraham and who we're told is married to a wife named Sarah who is barren. Right? So from, I'll pick it up from verse 1 in chapter 12. The Lord said to, had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'll stop there. God makes promises to this guy called Abraham, right? And we're not told much about him except that his dad's name is Terah, and he has a nephew called Lot. And his wife, Sarah, is infertile. She can't have kids. Like, that really shows us how, uh, how sin has affected our world, that uh, what God says to go out and multiply and fill the earth, well, right now, it seems like a dead end with this, with this story. Abraham and Sarah, she can't have kids. They're living in a place called Haran, which is modern-day northern Iraq, so a city that really existed. This isn't made up. So they lived in a city called Haran, and that was his home. His family lived there, and his dad dies in this country. God shows up one day and says this, leave. He says to Abraham, leave. Leave your homeland. Leave your family. All your friends and networks, leave them behind. Go to this land I'm going to show you. Now, verse 4 tells us he was 75 years old when this happened. He leaves his networks, his home. He leaves to a new land that God will show him. Now, before this, we had no prior relationship between God and Abraham, did we? He just showed up. God just shows up in the picture with Abraham. Abraham just shows up in the story of Genesis. And God takes the initiative with these promises he makes in verses 1 to 3. And the first promise that we need to pick up on is this idea of land. I'm going to show you this new land. I'm going to take you there. He says, I'm going to give you this great land to live in. And that land is known as Canaan in ancient times, which is around where Israel and Palestine are today. It plays a huge significance in the life of God's people, even to this day, right? Why is having land so important? It's not just about property that's going to be worth big money in the future like Sunnybank property is. It's, about, it's, it's not about that. It's not about the money, but it'll be a land of blessing. That's the idea. The idea of uh, land brings with it the idea of God's dwelling place. That's where God can exist with his people, a land where God will dwell with his people. Later on, hundreds of years later, a great temple is built in this land, the very land of Israel. And so that, so that God can be housed, in a sense, on the land with his people. Do you see that? Do you see that, why that's so important? God created a garden first in chapter 1, right? He created a garden first where he could dwell with humankind, but sin severed that relationship and the humans were kicked out of the garden. 
Now, God, um, God wants to bring this man into a land where he can dwell with his people once again. Again, recreation. That idea is happening here. Humans can't access God anymore. So now God plucks this guy out from really obscurity, right? Abraham, choosing this guy, Abraham, we know nothing about. He's done nothing amazing, but purely by God's initiative. And God's, God says, I'm going to give you this great land where I will dwell with you and my people. God promises this land. But God also promised him, him to be a great nation too, doesn't he? Here in Genesis 12, he's, he's Abraham, but later on he becomes known as Abraham, right? Do you know why? Because the name Abraham means father of many, father of a multitude. He becomes a father of many nations. Even today, you, you meet um, people who are from the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith. They'll all call Abraham one of the forefathers of their faith. Some of us here grew up in, in Sunday school at church, right? Now, I've been told by some of you here that you guys sang a song growing up called Father Abraham. Who, who knows that song? Right, Shane, can you sing that for us? <laughs> just, just kidding. But <laughs> He just went red. Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. What's the next line? Many sons had Father Abraham. Many sons had Father Abraham. Thanks. I didn't know this song growing up before my uh, after my time. But... Um, Abraham is meant to be a father of many. But we're told here his, his wife is infertile. You're going to be a great nation, but your wife is infertile. Later in chapter 15, God reinforces this, and he takes Abraham outside and goes, look at the stars. Can you count the stars? You can't, right? That's how many your descendants will be. And Abraham's like, what? That's nuts. And so God promises that he'll have many descendants. The third thing that God promises is his blessing. The idea that that, that's the idea that he'll have favor with God. Basically, God's saying, I'm going to be tight with you again. I'm going to have a, there's going to be a new relationship with my people, and it's going to be through you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless people through you. Through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed too, it says. And so from Abraham, we see his descendants who, know, who, who have faith, who have faith and worship and obey God. We see them blessed. They're in a relationship with God because God initiates his promises through Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? Because God says, I will make your name great. Last week, what we heard in Genesis chapter 11, the people gathered together to build this great city and great tower to make their name great. God here takes initiative with Abraham and says, you know what, I'm going to make your name great. You know, that's my plan. That's my promise to you. Again, not because of anything Abraham's done, just purely because God makes his promise to him, God chooses him out of obscurity. Why? Why? Why is Abraham plucked totally out of obscurity, out of nowhere, almost random? You see, God wants to recreate what he intended for humanity that got ruined. And he does it through this one guy, Abraham. All the issues of sin, that, that broken relationship that humanity faces with God and with one another, God takes the initiative to fix it. And he wants to fix it through blessing this guy, Abraham. Now, I don't know why. <laughs> why is it Abraham? He's just the guy. God, in his mysterious plan, chose this man from Haran. And through him, he wants to bless the rest of humanity. Right? This is just an, an act of God's gracious choice. And it's interesting, because you go further into your Bibles, you go to the book of Joshua, and I have this on the screen. It tells us later in the Bible that Abraham didn't even worship or know God. Joshua 24 Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. 
dun, dun, dun. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Did you know that? Abraham, he had no relation to God before this chapter. Before chapter 12 shows up, before God shows up in his life. God, Abraham's just the vessel for whom God makes promises to. He's an old man who, when he meets God and God makes his promise to him, he obeys. He obeys in faith. He has great faith in response to God. But there was nothing really incredible about him before God shows up in the picture. This is really a picture of God's grace, isn't it? This is really a story of God reaching out to Abraham. Not about Abraham at all. God giving him these promises, promises to bless him. God plucks a man out of obscurity to bless the whole world. So what does this tell us about God? You see, what we see with God is he's a God who's actually on a mission, isn't he? He's a missional God. He's a mission to save his creation, to save his humanity that fell in sin, the humanity who rejected him and spat in his face, the humanity who would rather make a name for themselves rather than a name for God. Here God says to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, and through doing so, God's own name will be magnified. You see, what we call this in the Bible, this, these promises, it's a covenant. God makes a covenant with his people, with Abraham, through Abraham. And he's going to take that initiative to save humankind, and, and through it, God's name is going to be spread across the face of the earth. His fame is going to go far and wide. God's plan A hasn't changed. He's going to bring the promises to the nations and the world through one man. And it's through God and God alone that he's going to rescue and restore humanity. Sin will be taken care of. Redemption will happen and blessings will come. And guess what? God does keep his word. God fulfills his promises to Abraham and to his creation. How does he do that? He does it through his very own son, Jesus. God's son, the word of God made manifest. Isn't this amazing? Isn't we see God driven by a love for his creation that he'll send his one and only son. I want us to reflect on that. How good and how great is our God? God isn't just some distant, angry God that leaves us humanity to fend for ourselves. He's a God who is majestic and sovereign and infinite, but he also is personal. He cares. He wants to see restoration for humanity. He wants his people, he desires his people to come back into a relationship with him. He's a good God and he's a great God. And what's the plan to fulfill these promises? Well, the plan was, was sending his own son, Jesus. He, Jesus solves our greatest need of, of sin and restoring us back to God. Think about these three promises of land and, and descendants and blessing, right? In the Old Testament, they were, they were given the land of Canaan eventually. It became known as Israel. They built a temple there, which indicated God's presence, right? His dwelling place. But guess what? In the New Testament, in John chapter 1, 14, I've got this as well. What does it say? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Right? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus represents the, the temple of God himself. Jesus is God with us. He walked amongst us. He died, was raised again. And to those who have faith in Jesus, he gave the spirit of God to us to dwell within us. So God is always with us. We don't need to, to have that Garden of Eden experience anymore. Right? We don't need to be there to, to, have, to walk with God. God walks with us because of Jesus. Through him, we're also made members of, of the eternal 
land, heaven itself, where we, that spiritual land promised to the people of God, the promise of land fulfilled in Jesus. That's a far greater, far greater than any physical property or a patch of soil, right? We get to look forward to an eternal dwelling with God because God fulfilled the promise to Abraham through Jesus, through the gospel. But the promise of being a great nation is also fulfilled, isn't it? The great nation of Israel comes from the line of Abraham, we know that. The New Testament also tells us that Christ is the seed, the descendant of Abraham. So you write in the first verse of Matthew chapter 1, I've got this on the screen, it says, this is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on. It's so important to know that. It's so important to, to have that in our Bibles because what God is doing is, is he's fulfilling his promises to Abraham. That our great nation will come from his line. Eventually, that's Jesus. Think about it. It's, it's, it's not just a, a nation that has all the same ethnicity. This is a spiritual nation that Jesus has brought to himself. Right? The great nation that applies to people of, the people of God. That's you and me. That's Jewish people and non-Jewish people. You know, so what Jesus does through the gospel, through taking away our sin, is he brings us into a relationship with God. We're brothers and sisters now in Christ. We're part of one big family, one nation. We're descendants of Abraham and we're descendants of Jesus because spiritually we're together. We get to be in a relationship with God. We just call God Father, right? From every corner of the world, from every culture and ethnicity, through our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, we become a new nation of people, the people of God. Where did this start? Right here, chapter 12. Abraham promised he'll be a great nation one day. You see that? From this one man, Abraham, in God's providence, in God's plan and initiative, over thousands of years, he brought together a great nation that we get to still enjoy today, be part of today. God kept his word. But lastly, the promise of blessing also finds its fulfillment in Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus is described as the light of the nations. He's the one through whom the Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, people like you and me who are formerly without God, without hope in the world, can come near to God now. It's through Jesus. right? So if we remember blessing means the favor of God, we can actually be in God's presence because of Jesus. Now we can be blessed. We can be in a relationship with greatness. The nations will be blessed through Abraham. The nations will be blessed through the life and death of Jesus the descendant of Abraham, right? And so we've got to think about this, right? Because how often do we use the word blessed in life? We use it all the time. But we're, we're hashtag blessed, not because of having lots of money, not because we got that job we applied for, not because we won a competition, we can enjoy the luxuries of that new car or iPhone. That doesn't make you truly blessed, does it? They might be good gifts from God, sure. More often than not, though, they often become idols rather than blessings. But you know how God gives us real blessing? We're blessed because we have Jesus who brings us into the safety. We're blessed because we have Jesus who brings us into, into the peace and uh, the comfort and the joy of a relationship with God himself. That's what makes you and I blessed, truly blessed. We're blessed because we have Jesus and that's it. It's so easy, isn't it, in our nature to just think of good things, the, the materialism in our lives, the money, the house, the job. We think everything good is going on in our lives and that means we're blessed. But friends, when God says, I will bless you, it's far greater than that. Our vision's too small if that's all we think it means. It's a reality that even when life is hard, when you didn't get that job you applied for, when you can't make the repayments on your mortgage, or you have to say no to your friends who want to go on an expensive weekend away, you're still blessed. 
You have a relationship with the God of the universe. What more do you need? What are, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Are you just thankful for, with, thankful for your materialism? Are you thankful for a God who took, or are you thankful for a God who took initiative with you? A God who saw you in your brokenness, who saw me in my brokenness, and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take initiative with you. I'm going to save you into a relationship through Jesus. See, Jesus is going to give his life for you so you can know the blessing of being in a relationship with God, the source of joy and peace, comfort and goodness. That's what blessing looks like, friends. Do we embrace that? Will we be thankful again and again and again because we've been blessed through Jesus? Do you see the God, do you see the God behind these promises? Are you starting to get a bigger picture of God throughout Genesis so far? Do you see how good and driven by love he is? He fulfills the very promises he makes to this guy Abraham from thousands of years ago, and he does it through one of the greatest injustices in human history, the killing of his innocent and holy son. And so when you get to the end of your Bibles, at the end of, of Revelation, uh, what we see is great hordes of people seen praising God, enjoying his great blessing in the new heavens and the new earth. That's them being in the presence of Jesus. The materialism, the, the money, the house, the job, your possessions, that stuff is all going to fade away. There are at most temporary blessings, but for eternity, you'll be experiencing true blessing, living in a real relationship with God because of Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all God's promises. And we read that in 2 Corinthians. In Jesus, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Right? These promises drive forward his plan to redeem humanity. Friends, do you see the God we get to know and worship then? This isn't a story about Abraham as so much as it is a story about our good and great God. God's promises never fail. He's a God who is good to his word, who fulfills what he sets out to do. So what does this mean for us? If we have a God who fulfills his promises and a God who keeps his word, how does that affect the way you live today? How does that affect the way you live tomorrow? Here's the first thing. As Christians, we can live with this raw, fearless hope. For Abraham, he left his home country to, to follow God in faith. Later on in Hebrews 11, he's called a hero of faith, right? We know that God promises us eternity with him through his grace and our faith in Jesus. We have this solid, fearless hope in God who always fulfills his promises. If you're here wanting to know how to become a Christian, if you're still new to this all and to have this future hope, this is it. Put your trust and faith in Jesus. We begin living for Jesus and not for ourselves. When we, and when we do, we get to embrace that solid hope that we have in God who saves us. That's what Christians do. We embrace hope. We live in light of hope. And when we do, we'll effectively operate out of hope. Our lives differently, it'll operate differently. Like Abraham, we can go back in faith. See, hope is that, that our future is secure in the hands of God. I really like it how this, um, this pastor, John Piper, the US pastor, uh, he writes this, uh, on this idea and says this, if our future is not secured and satisfied by God, then we're going to be excessively anxious. This results either in paralyzing fear or in self-managed, greedy control. We end up thinking about ourselves, our future, our problems, and our potential, and that keeps us from loving. He goes on to say, hope is the birthplace of Christian self-sacrificing love. That's because we just let God take care of us 
We aren't preoccupied with having to work to take care of ourselves. We say, Lord, I just want to be there for other people tomorrow because you're going to be there for me. Isn't that beautiful? Because of my solid hope in Jesus, I'm not caught up in my own self-preservation. I'm not caught up in my self-enhancement. It's not about me anymore. In Jesus, I have hope. I have everything already. God's already promised me eternity with him. He's promised me eternal joy, freedom, security, and an identity in him. I don't need to live for me. I can live for others. Because I know God has me. He's got my back. I'm in his hands. I'm, I'm free now to love others. That's what real solid hope does. Do you realize that? Hope gives us the ability to think of ourselves less and to love others freely. So let's think about that a bit deeper. If God promises eternal joy, how does, how does that change the way you see tomorrow? Does the, the hope affect your pursuit of joy in things that might only be temporary then? The things that fade? Or this, if, if God promises eternal security for you, how does that change the way you see tomorrow? If you have eternal security, it affects the way you see your money, doesn't it? It affects the way you see your career. It affects the way you see your status. You have security, not because of your job title. You have security because of a God who has promised eternity with him. Well, what about this? If God promises eternal freedom, how does that change the way you see today? It means you no longer have to feel the enslavement to the sin in our hearts. You no longer have to feel enslaved to your anger, your pride, or your jealousy. It means you no longer have to feel enslaved to what people think about you. Wow, I'd love to be free from that. That's a huge one, isn't it? I don't need to be enslaved to the expectations of society. God loves you as you are. You and I, we don't do anything to impress God. Like Abraham, he didn't do anything. God reached out to him. He doesn't look at me and say, Mikey, wow, you are an amazing guy. I know you guys think that of me. You know, Mikey, you're an amazing guy. Let me save you from this evil world. Let me rescue you from your brokenness because you deserve it. No, he doesn't say that. He sees me. He sees me in my brokenness. He sees me in my sin. And he had mercy and compassion. He chose to save me because he's God and I'm not. He gives me true freedom because I'm no longer enslaved to the sin of my heart or thinking that I need to be the, the perfect, obedient, good kid. God saves me because he's God. If God promises you freedom, eternal freedom, how does that change the way you see today? Do we trust in the promises of the world or do we trust in the promises of God? Where does your heart operate from? Does your heart operate out of a solid hope in God? If it does, the second thing that these verses encourage us to consider is to, um, is to think about how we're a blessing to others as well. Let's consider this statement in Genesis 12, verse 3. All people will be blessed through you. Right? Abraham is plucked out of obscurity. I've said that already. But he's blessed with a purpose. That is, God is working through one man to save all of humanity. God hasn't given up on creation. Now, if that's true, how do we think of ourselves and our role in this world today? How, how does God save his creation through the normal everyday means of his work, his grace? Well, he works through ordinary people like you and me. He works through people like you and me to bring the blessing of Jesus to others. You might have heard this before. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. One of our guys in our Friday community group last year, he used to always say that. When he thinks about his faith, he's been saved by grace. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. So to serve others is not to serve myself. I've been saved by grace to show grace to others, to love others. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of obligation, but it's out of a joy and thankfulness. Right? We can't pay back God's grace, but we can pass it on. We can bring it to others. And here's the best part. When we serve and love others, we, we get blessed as well. How, you might ask? How do we get blessed by serving others? Well, here's the beauty of it. When you serve God and serve others, you see God at work. You see God work tangibly in, in people's lives. Through the way you serve and love them in the gospel, you get to see people come to know the blessing of Jesus. Do you remember that first time you heard about Jesus and the gospel and it impacted your heart? Do you remember that joy that you felt? You get to see that in other people. You get to see their eyes light up. You get to see them get it, get the gospel, to know and have that same joy in a relationship with God. You get to be part of someone's journey even if it's in the most minute of ways, right? Even if it's behind the scenes in the way that you serve or love others, the way you go out of your way to bless them, it impacts lives for eternity. Yeah, this isn't something I'm saying you might want to do if you feel like it. This is something that's part of our, our DNA as Christians. We get to be part of God's plan A in restoring creation through the gospel of Jesus. It's part and parcel. God blesses us to be a blessing. You and I, like Abraham, we've been plucked out of obscurity. Why did God choose me? I don't even know. He just did. He calls me to come into his family to be blessed. I don't deserve it. But he calls me to bless others as well. It's a purpose and a grand responsibility to bring the eternal blessing of Jesus to others. Do we ever think about that? That it's a responsibility that God gives us. That it's part of our DNA as Christians. That we've been saved to bring the message of reconciliation to others. That we've been blessed to bless others. If you didn't know that, if you're still new to Christianity, well, we can start now. If you're new to the faith, start seeing your life, your money, your time, your energy, your possessions as God's to bless others with. Even if you're not new to the faith, do you see that with your life? Start reflecting on, on, on our hearts. Start thinking, how do I bring this good news of Jesus to everyone around me? How can I bless others? Everyone needs to hear this message of hope. Everyone needs Jesus. If, you've been, if you believe that you've been saved by Jesus, if you believe that you have true hope in Jesus, and this is the reality that we need to understand, we can't hear these words. We can't hear these words and then think that we can continue living only for ourselves. If we truly know God's blessing, we can't keep that to ourselves. See, God's people, followers of Jesus, are people who God is using and will use to be the vessel to bring the word of God to others. Our God, like I said, is a missional God. He wants to rescue and restore our world from sin. How will we then be missional in our everyday life? Do we want to bring that message of restoration and reconciliation to our broken world around us? Do we see our friends and family hurting because they're missing out on this joy, this purpose, this, this eternal freedom and security that we have in God? Do we see that? Genesis 1 to 11 was all there for us to see the beauty of our God and how here it culminates in, in, in Genesis 12 with this faithful, compassionate, missional heart that we see in him. And so when I think about our story begins, our story begins with hope. This story of hope is what our world, our family, our friends desperately needs to hear. Our eternity and their eternity hangs on the story of hope that we have in Jesus. 
Over the last uh, eight weeks, we've had um, a few interviews here at Providence. I, we've called it hashtag We Are Providence Church. So we can get to know our community better. We get to hear each other's stories. We want to encourage one another. We want to do life together. So we heard stories from Zoe and Owen and Chris, how, they, how God uh, worked in their lives, how God was central to it. And so I want to finish with this thought for us, for you here today. We're always surrounded by stories, aren't we? Stories are being told when we watch movies, watch documentaries, the news, even cooking shows these days. They always want to tell a story about food and life. Just tell us how to cook. But everything you see, right, is, there's just stories everywhere. Everything you see on social media, whether it's a meme or a, or a video or a photo, tell a story. Stories of bravery, courage, humor, sadness, betrayal, stories of love and hope. Believe it or not, we're always listening to stories told day by day by people. Some of them might be dull and boring, or they might excite. They might depress and make you sad, or they might inspire and empower us. But you and I, we have a story to tell. We have stories to tell of our past, stories of who we are today, and stories of our future, the future us that we envision. If Genesis tells us anything then, it's that our story, our story begins with God. My past, my present, and my future, we've got to see it now. I see it now through the lens of the God who created me. The God who loves me, a God who rescues me. A God who gives me promises that he'll never forsake me. While the world around me is yearning for stories of hope and peace and restoration, the story of God and his rescue plan in Jesus is the only story we need. So let's tell our stories. Let's tell our stories to people. Let's tell our stories with excitement and passion because our stories point people to the greater story of Jesus. Let's tell the story of our God, knowing that the solid hope and God's promises are for those who hear it too. Let's go out and be God's people, as he intended us to be, going out and spreading the, the story of hope to all the nations. and Be scattered so we can see God magnified and glorified, as he intends for us to know him as, as Genesis tells us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who's a missional God, a God who loves his creation, a God who loves us. And we've seen that, Lord, through the way you've sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us, that through him, through his perfect life, we've been saved. Our sin has been dealt with. We can have a relationship with you again. We can know you as our Father. We can pray to you. We can, we can rely and depend on you. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who fulfills his promises, a God who um, we can depend on, and a God who um, we know, Lord, um, has our best in mind. So we do pray, Lord, as we think about our future, as we think about eternity, that we'll be operating out of hearts that have that solid hope in you, that operate out of hearts that believe that you are real, that you are true, that we've been saved from death to life. We've been saved to go out and bring the word of of joy, the, the message of reconciliation to others, so they too can have that solid hope that we have in you. We do pray that, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.